to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. We love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. I'm Sats Mundine, joined once again by our uh, basically our third member at this point, Noah Banks. Noah, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great today. How are you? I'm doing good too. The Leafs are coming off another win last night, a game in which they basically dominated the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, I know there was a blown lead once again, which we'll probably get into a little bit later, but uh, I'm thinking a good place to start would be the shakeup Sheldon Keefe did with the lines last night. I know we had uh, Matthews with Bunting and Kasha. We put Mikheyev with Tavares and Marner, and then we had Willie basically carrying a line uh, with Kerfoot and Camp. So, no, I got to throw it to you. What did you think of those uh, those new lines last night? I'm a big fan of the the line switch up recently. I think it's uh, I think it's got really good potential. Just the idea of like for if the fourth line plays ten minutes, let's say, so you're like fifty minutes of the sixty, you've got your best players on the ice, at least one of them at all times. Like it's it's got the recipe to really uh, really work for us. Just to have like a balanced attack and just keep coming out in waves and waves and. I liked how Keith was really experimenting there and he would throw Nylander out for a shift in the top six or he would load up a line and it just felt that he was like coaching a lot more. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, that he wasn't just kind of like letting them go out. It was like meticulous and he did a really good job, I thought, of uh, rolling them and everyone got their uh, their minutes. I think the top four forwards were uh, top four in ice time among forwards. So that's exactly what we want. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It was a, a really nice coaching effort by Keefe. I know a lot of the people, when they saw at practice that Willie was on the quote-unquote third line, they were a little bit scared that he was going to go back into his old habits of playing in like 15, 16 minutes a night. But yeah, we saw Willie, I think he was second only to Matthews among forwards. He had over 21 minutes of ice time, and he looked outstanding all night. Um, every line uh, of the top three ended up above 77% expected goals. So they were just, yeah, they were a force. And it's it's a lot like you said, it's almost a basketball type of thing where, where you always want to have your one star out. If it's the Lakers, they want to make sure they have one of LeBron or Anthony Davis out. And yeah, when we have those three lines, you're pretty much at any time, you're guaranteeing that there's a superstar level player on the ice for your team, which is never a bad thing. And I know a lot of people also were kind of scared, like not scared, but a bit angry at that Willie's the one that's getting demoted in a way. But I don't think this is anything close to a demotion for Willie. If anything, I think it's a vote of confidence in that Sheldon Keefe knows that Austin Matthews and William Nylander are the two guys on the team who are probably capable of driving their own line independently. And we saw Willie doing it again last night. Yeah, 100%. It felt like it felt like we were playing more as a team. Like I find some nights it just looks like the, the top four guys are going out there and they're doing their own thing. But it felt like our whole top nine, it just kept coming at them in waves and just working really hard. I just, I, I don't know. I liked it. The uh, As long as Willie gets his minutes and they don't like, again, bring him back down, like you said, to the 15, 16 range. Like I don't see any issue with splitting them up, especially if they're going to keep like changing it up all the time with like, um, when Matthews was getting out there with Willie and Kerfoot and just keeping stuff up like that and keeping it nice flow. And I just, I, I'm a fan and I got to see more of it. Of course, it's one game sample size, but 
over the course of a, a few games or the rest of the regular season. I think this could be really good for us. It's exactly what we've been asking Keith to do and tr- using these regular season games to just determine what you have in the playoffs. Maybe it's not something that the Leafs are going to want to try against a Boston or a Tampa who are really a top six heavy team who's going to load up those top two lines. But if you're facing a team like Florida, who sometimes will play Griffin Reinhardt on their third line and come at you with three different lines, it's definitely a good look to have where you can pretty much feel good about matching up against them at any point, as long as your fourth line's not out. So yeah, I'd love to see uh, Keith try this for another few games, see what he has in it. He doesn't have to stick with it all year, but at least to know that he has this and then you mentioned how he he would load up Willie with Matthews at times, and I thought they looked like absolutely lethal together. And it's got me kind of hoping that Keith's next trick in his bag is to try him with uh, with Matthews and keep that Tavares Marner line because they too looked really good last night. Yeah, I agree, and I really like that point you said about um, like having these lines against Florida. Like when I look at like the way that the Florida Panthers are designed, they've got Barkov on the top line, which like if we're Line matching, Matthews goes up against Barkov. And then if Huberto's coming down um, the ice, uh, beating the left winger, he'd have to go up against Marner, our right winger. So he's going to be facing Marner down the middle. And then on the third line, Willie just takes care of Reinhardt. Like, I just, that seems like the the best way to stop them. And it gets away from what Keith was saying last year uh, against the Habs. Of, oh, we don't care about who our top guys go against. I'll put these guys against anyone. But it, it really seems like they're kind of, they're over that and they're trying to they're they're not using that same tactic again they're going to be line matching a little bit more and try to put their players in a position to succeed so i think that this is really great for keith and like you said it's it's what we've been looking for just a little experimentation when the games don't really mean as much instead of those elimination games where he decides to make try something new that's never been done before yeah, it's all about growth, not just for the players, but Sheldon Keefe, this is only his, this is his first real full NHL season. I know it's his third season behind the bench of the Leafs, but he's probably learned quite a few things from the uh, from the previous playoff losses, like not trying stupid things that he's never tried before in the biggest moments of the year and moving around things on the power play, demoting Manny Malhotra, a guy who has never been on a power play in his life and you know, inserting Spencer Carberry in there and look at the the rewards we're reaping from that. It's just, it's been a pretty good coaching effort from Keith this year, I thought. And I liked the way he he did call them out after the New York Rangers kind of collapse. Even though I didn't think they played that poorly, I did like that he's kind of getting on the team. We saw him do it in the documentary in the All or Nothing. He's, He's really growing on me as a coach and just seeing him being willing to try new things right now. It's just, it's so refreshing. It's so unlike what Mike Babcock did. And it's got me excited to see what he's going to try down, down the stretch. Now, do you think that he is going to try that, uh, that Matthews Nylander connection again for, for a stretch in the future? I think you have to, I, uh, there was one shift in particular and I, I'm not quite sure when it was, it might've been in the second period, but I think they went over the boards and uh, I was shocked. They didn't score. I think they had like, it was something ridiculous, like three or four, like major, major scoring chances in like a 20 second span where both of them looked like they were going to score. And I just, I, we've seen a lot of uh, Matthews and Nylander to know that it works. I'd like to see it just a little bit more, especially as we've seen these two players grow so much more from where they were. Like 
the Matthews and Nylander we have today weren't the ones who used to play together. So I'd like to see it for a little bit of a run where they're not worried about getting demoted or switching it up, just letting them figure it out. And they're both amazing players. And if you just give them a little bit of time, I think that they could make something pretty special. Yeah, I know a lot of people said one of the reasons they wanted to separate them. Actually, I think it was Keith is that he found that they were creating their offense a bit separate of each other, which at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how it's created as long as you're creating it. And they were generating chances at a crazy level, just like we saw last night together. So I would love to see that. And I do think that the Tavares Marner pairing is something I'd really like them to try going forward too, to see if they can recapture that chemistry that they they had in the past. They looked really, really good last night. Mitch Marner, uh, he's looked like a new man ever since, you know, breaking that snake off his back or monkey off your back, whatever you want to call it with the power play goal. I think we're really going to see a dangerous version of Mitch Marner down the stretch. And I think if we're working that line, I, I think you look at the the Kerfoot-Nylander connection, I think that could work with Matthews to, where you have two shooters and a guy like, like Kerfoot who's down to pass. He's a good skater. He can keep up with them. And then I think a guy like Michael Bunting would really fit well uh, with Tavares and Marner if they did ever move off of Mikheyev on that line. So there's still so many great things that Keith could try. But I do want to get your thoughts on on how Mitch Marner's been playing recently. Um, I loved Mitch Marner uh, recently. I think it was – I can't remember who had the tweet, but someone had a tweet out where – the Leafs are 20 and three uh, with Marner in the lineup. Uh, I don't think that's the season. Like, I think that's in the last 20. That's over the or last whatever. 23, yeah. Over the last 23. But, like, like, come on. Like, that's ridiculous. It just, it just shows how important he is to this team. And when he's going and he's in that mode that it looks like he's uh, got a London Knights jersey underneath and he's playing in the OHL again and he just, like, knows he's the best player and he can do whatever he wants, when he gets in that mindset, like, there's not too many players that look more creative and just get the things done that he does. Like, uh, especially as of late, I feel like he's shooting a lot more. Uh, I don't know if it's a coaching, uh, giving him confidence to shoot or what it is, but he always seems more dangerous when he decides, Hey, like I'm an NHL player. I've got somewhat of an NHL shot. I could probably score, especially when goalies are focused so much on guys like Tavares on the ace with him and on the power play. Like everyone's so scared of the Matthew shot that, Marner kind of sneaks in and uh, you pulled it up earlier where you were talking about their, uh, his two power play goals in the last three games. I think if he can just kind of sneak in there and uh, everyone's focused on, oh, he's going to pass to Matthews for this big shot. Marner can just sneak one through. I think that that's going to be really effective moving forward. Just an extra weapon. Yeah. Like we, we obviously don't want him to be taking a crazy amount of shots and looking for his shot all the time. But last night, six shots on goal and it, None of them really fell out of place. It didn't feel like he was forcing it. It was within the flow of the game, and he's going to be able to keep defenses a lot more honest, and we've, we've even seen that on the power play recently. If he does take advantage of those chances where it's a clear shooting opportunity, and, and last night he took it, you're never going to see him really beat a goalie clean with a shot like Matthews or Nylander can do, but if it's up on a play with a goalie coming across the crease or something like that, and he's got somewhat of an open cage, yeah, fire it in the net. Uh, and then that's going to bleed into when he has two-on-ones, it'll allow him to be a better passer on those because even though everybody knows he's going to pass, he still seems to get that pass through like at least seven out of 10 times. But if he shoots once in a while, that might move up to eight or nine times out of 10. So he's looked really good. And and you mentioned what a different team they looked like without him. And the this year alone, you look at their numbers with him, they're 22-7-1, which is a 750 points percentage. 
Uh, and in 10 games without sorry, nine games without him, they're four, three, and two, which is only a 56% points percentage. So they are a completely different team when they have him in the lineup. As much as people like to rag on his contract, he's just such a good two-way player that he if he's with the right players, if he's with a Matthews or a Tavares, he's going to just boost that lineup to another level in terms of generating the share of scoring chances and, and expected goals and things like that. So I, I know I love to look at the deserve to win meter after every game and the games he didn't play, it, it seemed like we were losing that a lot more. And now with him in the lineup, it seems like every night the Leafs are 55, 65, 75. Last night they were 92%. So he is just such a good play driver and it's been amazing to see him kind of look like himself these last seven games or sorry, these last four games where he has seven points. Yeah. It's so nice seeing him play well. eh? like just, I feel like when he's got the energy going and he's just like, he's motivated and it almost like brings the rest of the guys with him. Like I, I know people joke about him being like the Leafs team puppy and stuff. And I remember at one point they had uh, him go on that road trip. Um, I remember when he was injured, but it's just like, he's, he's just that ball of energy and they always just seem to play well when Marner's playing well. Like he just kind of, I feel like he really brings up the rest of the guys. Yeah. We need him playing loosely and playing freely. And that's what he's been doing lately. And I think that's been a big reason why our power play has been so good. We, we got a question from, uh, from our buddy, Jimmy vanilla. And he said, are you guys happy with this new Marner on the power play? And I think the answer is unequivocally. Yes. Right now, the power play is at 31%. It's first in the league. I know uh, recently I personally said maybe it'd be a good idea to put Spets on there to get another shooting threat um, and to have Marner kind of quarterback that second unit with Sandine. Not that I thought he was a bad power play player. I thought it just might be a better fit for the team that way. But with the way that Carberry has them kind of moving around, looking flexible, and, and you just see him and Nylander constantly rotating, it's really tough for the defense to stop. And the power play has been absolute dynamite last night with three goals. Oh, it looks unreal when uh, Marner and Elander do that switch play eh? where they uh, Marner ends up down below the goal line. It's just like, what did he, uh, there was the Tavares goal that was scored with that below the net play. I think it was, did Nylander, Nylander's goal was something similar with that, like pass out front where you're not expecting it. Like, I think that that's on the power play is lethal. Like I just, when you've got that and then you have the Matthews threat, which is the big one on the power play, everyone's kind of cheating to make sure that they cover him and, Oh, well, now we have all these other weapons and that's all because of Marner and his like just him going to places and putting high uh, putting pucks on sticks and high danger scoring chances. So if he can keep doing that, like I got no issues with Marner on the power play. And I know I said a lot about Cash Kasha last time when he was on the power play and oh, yeah, we don't need Marner up there. Put him with the bums. But we saw last night how effective he can be on that power play. So. Yeah, it's been it's been lethal this year. I think it's a power play that we would definitely see succeed even if, even if Mitch Marner wasn't on it. But if he's used in the correct role, I think having a guy who's as good of a passer as he is is always going to be a good thing. Uh, I do like when they generally have him a little lower so he's not in that kind of one-timer slot because defenses still aren't going to really respect his shot. But if he can keep moving, if he can keep taking his chances, I know his first power play goal was – Right, right by the uh, side of the net where Nylander made a beautiful pass right to him, wide open net. So he's getting himself in those good positions. He's putting others in good positions. And the team as a whole is really benefiting from it. Here, I'll pause it for a sec. Now, one area of concern, at least for a portion of Leaf fans right now, has been the, the Leafs' tendency to blow 3-1 leads. 
They have had 3-1 leads in six of the last seven games, and in five of those six games, they have blown the lead. Now, they are 4-1-1 and in those six games, so they're still getting wins, but I have to ask, is it a concern for you right now? Yeah, I guess so. I, when did the, the 3-1 lead become uh, worse than the 4-1 lead? Like, we're just, we're getting killed out here. But um, I think it's concerning um, somewhat. Uh, if you look at it, a lot of it is, uh, I, I feel like Campbell, and I don't like to rag, like rag on him or say anything, because he's been unreal for us a lot of times this season. But he's been, uh, he, he's kind of dropped the ball a little bit, but it's it's all good. Like, when you... Uh, He's dropped from whatever he was a 940 to uh, closer to 900, and it's it's really affected us. But overall, I don't think it's a huge deal if it eventually stops. But if this is a problem that continues for another five, ten games, uh, then I think it's it's a real problem. But it, it's probably just luck. Like you just you you'll probably blow five, six of those leads a season, and I think the Leafs have just done it in a three week span all at once. Yeah, I, I think you make a good point. I think Campbell's probably the main reason why it's happening. Not that he's been terrible, but he hasn't been good. Since uh, December 1st, he's been right around 900 save percentage. So it's been a while since he's really been uh, good. Now, that is only a 12-game sample size, so it's a bit skewed by uh, the recent five games where he's been pretty bad. But I agree. I don't. I don't think it's nothing like I think it's something we have to be aware of but there's just so many factors it sounds like I'm going through a wheel of excuses on it but if you just look at the last few weeks all the things they went through they had that huge break uh one of the games like like the first one against Colorado where they blew it they're at altitude they haven't played in a while their lungs probably aren't what they were they're not in the conditioning that they've been um and the refs were really it was really tough a lot of those things could be attributed probably to the COVID shutdown We've been missing Jake Muzzin for a few games. Justin Hall, he, as much as we rag on him, he was out for a few games. When you're replacing him with a guy like Biega or Dahlstrom or something like that, it's going to affect your team. So I do think there's a lot of kind of reasons that it shouldn't be too big of a concern. And I think if it was any team but the Leafs, people really wouldn't be too worried about it. So I guess what I'm going to ask you then is, are you concerned about Campbell at all? Do you think this is something we need to be worried about long-term or do you think it's kind of just a little slump he's going through? I'm hoping that we don't have to worry about Campbell at all. Um, I think I just hope that Morazic comes in if he can play um, however many games that they split it with and Campbell can have nights off. I hope that they, uh, I like when they don't have him on the bench, if he's not playing, I like when he's up in the press box um, just so that we don't have to worry about all if Morazic gets killed. We have to, throw him back in and he doesn't have the night off and I think if you're giving him the night off like there's got to be something with like mental preparation where he has to sit there in those big heavy pads and he just kind of waits there and he's like cold and and they're not give him let him sit in the suit eat all the popcorn he wants just let him rest and have morazic play and I think that'll make a big difference because we we often forget like Jack Campbell hasn't really played a full NHL season as a starter so I think him playing a lot and then the break, I think it's really affected him. So hopefully Mrazic can kind of ease his workload, especially going into the second half of the season. And um, we can have a nice, healthy Jack Campbell for game one of the playoffs. Yeah, if you look at his workload in the past, his next game will be his 31st of the year, and that will tie his career high, which he had in 2018-19 with the, uh, with the Kings. Um, so he hasn't been accustomed to playing a ton of games. And I know a lot of these games too – 
have come kind of with a big gap. So I don't know if it's too much of tiring. It could be that too, but it also could be that the break affected him. He got out of rhythm and kind of lost his way a little bit. So it's nothing that I'm too, too concerned about. He has had a season uh, in 2017 where he played 53 games total. So it's not like he's never played a, a pretty high workload, but I think you're right. We really do need to use Mrazek. We're paying him 3.8 million. Uh, he looked very good against the Islanders. He brought a save percentage up to 899, which is one more good game. And he's, he's looking at a pretty respectable stat line. So the Leafs will be playing starting February 7th. They're going to have a 22-day stretch where they play 11 games. I think that we need to have Mrazek start at least five of those. Oh, 100%. But first of all, 11 games in 22 days sounds like a lot of fun. I'm so sick of only playing once or twice a week. I just, I can't wait to get back to, oh, we got like three Leaf games in four nights. Like, I don't have to just sit around my house for four days and wonder what I'm going to do with my evenings. So uh, I'm really excited to get get play well i guess we're not playing but i'm excited to get back to watching and uh and uh oh yeah i agree mirazi getting at least five of those and uh especially i think there's a couple back-to-backs in there i don't know if the number is two or three but there's definitely a few of them coming up uh having him play the first or second half of those back-to-backs would uh would probably really help campbell and i hope that even campbell going to the all-star game he takes it nice and uh nice and low-key and he doesn't have to stretch out too much on any big saves and we just get to kind of slow his roll a little bit and uh, rest him up. Yeah. I think it's funny. You're, you're excited. I'm definitely excited because these last couple of weeks where it's been Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, it just, it sucks. I don't know what to do with myself at nighttime. So it will be nice from a fan's perspective. I don't think the least would share our opinion on that though. They're probably like, Oh my God, game every other night. They're getting a little rattled about it, but it kind of had to happen with that whole COVID shutdown. So at least it's not going to be a crazy, crazy schedule the whole way through right into the playoffs. At least it's kind of going to settle down a bit after we have that hectic stage. So we will have a little bit of, of time to kind of recuperate, but maybe, maybe the Leafs go on a run in that and they can, they can finally make up those games that they've been behind the Panthers and the lightning because every time we win, it's like, Oh, we we're still, eight points back of them because we've played five less games. It's, it's getting a little frustrating, but I, yeah, as far as Campbell goes, I think if you give him six of those games, that's not too bad. He's at a nine twenty six save percentage. I think what we're seeing also is just kind of a regression to the goalie. He is. I don't think he's the goalie that we saw in the first two months to, a, to the full extent where he's a top three Vesna candidate. And I certainly don't think he's the goalie that we've seen over his last 12 games. I think he's really, a lot closer to the guy we saw last year where in 22 games, he posted that 921. Uh, the year before that, he was 915 in six games with us. I think you're going to see a guy who's in that between 915 to 925 range. And with the way we're playing right now, as long as we don't get Vasilevsky in the first round, I think that's pretty much all the Leafs are going to ask for. Well, I saw a tweet and it kind of made me think a little bit. And it was talking about how... Um, Jack Campbell at the start of the season was like a 940 uh, when they were winning all those games, whatever that 17 game run was. He was a 940, but the Leafs probably would have still done the same thing if he was a 920. It was just like he was so good, but it was like, oh, you don't really need to be that good. Save it a little bit. So hopefully this is just him like over the course of a season kind of regressing and bringing his save percentage down a little bit. But he's a lot closer to kind of the middle area uh, between that crazy 940 and the uh, the recent 
um, small slump that he's been on. He's a little bit somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and I think games like last night are really tough for a goalie where you're just sitting there as your team is just kicking the shit out of the other team and just dominating them at the other end. And sadly, we're not going to have any of those in the playoffs because it's seeming like we're probably going to be playing Boston, Tampa, or uh, Florida. Which brings me to my next question from our buddy Golatelli, one of our uh, favorite followers on Twitter. He asked, who do the Leafs match up best against in the Atlantic division come playoff time? He says he genuinely can't decide because Florida's worse in the playoffs than us, but they've been amazing this year. Tampa's back-to-back champs. And then you have Boston, who just always seem to be able to get it done in the playoffs, at least early on. So who do you want to face in the first round and why? I think that the best chance the Leafs have in the first round is against the Florida Panthers because I don't think that they've done anything substantial in the league yet, similar to the Leafs. Uh, I believe their playoff win record is their playoff uh, series win records worse than the Leafs. So just, I think that they, they haven't played those big games. And I know we, uh, we always joke about the Leafs being the choke artist in the big games, but Florida's never really played like that big elimination game, that all or nothing, and they've lost those too. So I think it matches us really well up against them. We've got more playoff experience on our roster than they do. And I think uh, you can get ahead in those early two games where they just are trying to figure it out. They got a lot of young guys getting used to the show. um, And the Leafs might kind of come out in the first two games and steal them, especially in Florida. And then you're coming back to Toronto, maybe tied or you're up one. So, I think that the um, the Leafs will uh, really take advantage of them in the first round. And I think that we, we have the players that match up. And I guess my big thing in the first round this year is we have, in my opinion, the first or second best player in the league, depending on where you put Matthews. And nobody else in the Atlantic division can say the same. So I have the Leafs beating the Florida Panthers in the first round if they uh, if they face them. Yeah, if it were the NBA, we would be in in great position where it's like whoever has the best player usually wins because we would win that battle against every team except for maybe Edmonton. So I I have a little difficulty deciding. It's a really it's like it's like choosing between eating like dog poop, throw up, or garbage. Um, but I I do see your point too. And and a guy like Bobrovsky, even though he's rocking a nine twenty two this year. He's just such a wild card that I feel like I would definitely take them over Tampa Bay when you consider the experience Tampa Bay has. They're not going to be rattled in a big-time situation. That's the last team I want to face, uh, and mostly because of Vasilevsky, where you can ju- you just know that guy is going to steal at least a game or two. So having an unproven team like Florida with a guy like Barkov who doesn't get any shtick for – never winning a playoff series, even though he's been in the league for longer than Matthews and Marner. Uh, same with Huberdo. So I think you make a point. And then another thing too, they're just such a highly offensive team. Like the Leafs have always been in the past too, where, you know, that goes to sleep a little bit in the playoffs. I don't they're, think they're a team that's really going to take advantage of that, uh, that brutal whistle that they get, at least not any more than we would in the playoffs. So I think Florida... I think they'd be my second team because I I would probably want to face Boston, even though if you look at the numbers, they do have the best expected goals percentage at five on five in the league right now at 56%. You have Florida third, Toronto fourth, and Tampa Bay is down at fifth, sorry, ninth. Um, So five on five, Boston is a very intimidating team, but I just think with the way Rask has looked coming back, he has looked terrible, which is just music to my eyes. Um, and then the way, you know, they don't really have 
much faith in Allmark. Their goaltending situation is probably, I would say, the shakiest out of any of the teams. Um, and then they're so reliant on those top guys where I feel like if you throw Matthews against one of those lines, you know he's at least going to neutralize them, even if potentially he's with Bunting and Kasha. And then if we do something like that three-line formation like we had last night, I feel like we could really dominate Boston in certain aspects of the game. Yeah, I like that. I think that anytime uh, you consider the Leafs winning the cup, I think we have to beat Boston on the way. I can't see it anywhere else. Like you just you have to slay the dragon. And if we don't, I think people will say like, "Oh, like you didn't have to play Boston this time." And I just like to get get one on them. I know they've beaten us the last what is it three times, but we got to get one. It feels like destiny at this point, does it not? Like we just we have to slay the dragon to before we can truly flourish. And then to do that and then beat a team like Tampa with back-to-back cups in the second round, I think I think that's the way we got to do it. And I think a big thing with the Leafs is once they win the one, it'll just be like, "Oh, we did it." Like now like that we like that was the big issue. Like, "Oh, you can't get out of the first round." Well, we did. And then they'll just keep riding. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah, and that's kind of why I don't want to face Tampa either because I just feel like if we get to a late series, like a game's five, six, seven, I just feel like Tampa's going to have such an upper hand because they're, they've been there before. They don't have – if they lost in the first round, like their fans can't really be mad at them after winning back-to-back cups. So I just feel like all the pressure is going to be on the Leafs regardless of who's favored. Uh, and that was one thing I saw people say too is like, hey, maybe the Leafs would be better off facing a team like Tampa – uh, where they're favored to lose in the first round because it'll put less pressure. But I think no matter what the matchup is in the first round, whether they're favored or not, the Leafs are going to have an insane amount of pressure. So I do think either slaying the Dragon in Boston or going to face a team in Florida who are equally unproven, who you probably are going to have a lot more fun playing in their arena come playoff team or come playoff time than you would in Tampa's or Boston's just because people like me would probably want to go down to Florida and watch that game. Uh, so it's it's a really shitty choice. And let's hope at the end of the day, it comes down to the Leafs getting first place in that division and facing potentially like a Washington, maybe a Pittsburgh in that first round, who I think would be a bit of an easier shout for us. Yeah, that getting that Metro Wild card might be huge if they can continue and uh, and have a good rest of the regular season and uh, and not slow down here, just keep pushing. Yeah, right now they're eight points behind Florida with four games in hand. They'd have to win all of their games in hand to tie them for first. So hopefully Florida and Tampa can just start going on a slump. But if you look at the Leafs' upcoming schedule, Red Wings, Devils, Devils, the next three, and then the Hurricanes. But you could you could say fairly confidently they have a good chance of winning at least three out of four of those games. So the gap isn't as big as it really seems. And, and this month is going to be really telling to see kind of where the Leafs end up in the standings and kind of what we should be rooting for down the stretch. Maybe to see if maybe we start rooting for Boston to see if they can jump ahead of us for that wild card spot. Who knows? Yeah. Well, it's going to be exciting to watch uh, the devils in those back-to-back games. Like we might get to, to see our future leaf uh, Damon Severson. And that is a great segue because there's somewhat of a debate yesterday online. Well, I, I kind of started one with a tweet and I said, if you are Kyle Dubas, you're giving up a first rounder and Nick Robertson and then whatever salary matching has to be done. Are you going for a guy like Claude Giroux, who is a 34 points in 40 games, left winger, clearly a first line talent in terms of all of the advanced metrics, or are you going for that more defensively solid, guy in Damon Severson who is a 
uh, not a rental. He's got a year and plus left. So I got to ask you, where do you stand on that? I know we've talked about it the last time we were somewhat on the fence, given what we've seen in the last month with Muzz and her, with the way the forwards have been playing, where do you stand on this issue? So I'm going to go with Severson, uh, but I want to make it clear that if the Leafs ended up with a player of Claude Giroux's uh, ability, I would probably poop my pants out of excitement after reading the tweet. I would just like that to be known. But uh, I'm going to say Severson because I think that it's uh, the first round because they're having to play an Atlantic team. It's so up in the air and like Leafs could finish top five this year and still be out in the first round. I'm hesitant to give. It's a lot to give up for either player. And the Nick Foligno trade last year really turned me off of the idea of the big time rental just for it to be like, oh, well, it was a nice... 10 games before the playoffs. And then we had a really good, really fun seven games that I got to watch you play. So kind of like, instead of like trading like a bunch of assets for whatever it will be like less than 20 games of Claude Giroux, if like they could get Severson and you still have that asset, if you want to trade him at the draft or you want to move on at some point, you still have it. So I'm, I'm going to go with Severson because I think that they need the defense and it's nice to have that extra year of term. But man, if they ended up with Claude Giroux on this team, you would hear zero complaints about uh, from me about the cost or anything. It'd just be like, holy, like we've got Claude Giroux in our top six. Like, what do you have to complain about at that point? Yeah, it would give us the most disgusting top six in the league. It would make us just such an undeniable powerhouse at forward that it would be hard to be mad about that because you you would be taking that Tavares. Say you go with uh, Tavares, Marner, and. Giroux as, a, as your second line, like that is an elite, that's probably a top 10 line in the NHL. And then you're pairing it with whether that's a Matthews Nylander line, that's an elite, elite first line, or you're spreading the wealth. It's, it would be insane, but I, I got to fall on the same page as you where I would prefer to do it for a guy with a little more term. I am okay giving up our first rounder and Robertson or another top prospect. If it does mean that we're getting a really solid difference maker for, for a year or more. Um, I just, after watching the way that Dermot looked in that Rangers game, just getting bullied around the ice, the way we looked with Muzz and Hurt, I think we're just one injury away right now from just having a train wreck on defense. So I think having a guy like Severson, especially that can play that right side, makes it a lot more manageable if, say, a guy like Muzzin gets injured in the playoffs because you could roll in with the – you could do Riley Brody and then Muzzin Severson, or you could flip those guys either way. But let's say Jake Muzzin does suffer his annual play, first round injury. Maybe a guy like Sandine, you, you know, he's not very reliable off or defensively, but if you have him with a solid defensive guy like Severson, they can eat those second pair of minutes. Whereas if you're going with Hall and Sandine, I am probably uh, pooping my pants just like you would after a Claude Giroux trade, because I don't think that would end well for us. And I like the idea of Severson because I think it's, I like the term. I think afterwards you can always bring him back uh, if you like, depending on where Muzzin is in his career. And if you need to like move Sandine up, you're giving him Severson, who's a reliable top four guy who can step in and teach him the ways right away. So he's not like fed to the wolves with just some random partner. And I think just bringing in a guy like Severson, it pushes Hall down to the, th- to the third pair. Um, I, my guess would be Dermot's going the other way for salary purposes. Um, but if you're putting on, uh, you've got the Riley Brody top pair and then Muzz and Severson and then uh, Sandine and Hall, and then Hall is still able to be on the PK and 
we get to take Riley off the PK a little bit and we don't have to worry about that as much. Like I just, I think it makes our D so much deeper. And like, if you're, if you're, you're two D injuries away and it's like, Oh, okay. Well, Liljegren's coming in for the first one. And then maybe they have a depth, they bring in another depth guy or like, I'm fine if you go two injuries and then it's like Rubens or whatever. But right now it's, uh, it's looking good if they can grab that, that bona fide top four right hand to defenseman. Yeah, whether it's him, whether it's a Mayfield who hasn't been quite as good, I wouldn't be as intrigued by him, but I would be definitely intrigued. Maybe a, a Murphy, something like that. I think that's what Dubas has to be pushing for. And if the price gets fairly high, I just think it's a move you have to make because if you have a third pairing with with Justin Hall and, and Rasmus Sandin, that is a great third pairing. It would just give us such depth throughout the lineup. And then if you're doing that, say we do do that three-line configuration, like you have – a third pair of Sandine and Hall with Nylander, Camp, Kerfoot going against other teams, say Boston, for example, going against their third line and third pair, I think we would absolutely clobber them in those minutes. Now, before we go, we uh, we did answer a couple questions from our buddy Jimmy Vanilla and uh, Golatelli. Now, we had one other one from our friend Steph the Fanalist, and she asked... Does Jack Campbell sign during the offseason? If not, when? Noah, I will throw that one to you. I think Jack's going to stay. Uh, I'm not quite sure when he's going to sign the contract, but I think he's definitely going to sign with the Leafs and stay here uh, pretty long term. I think he's a guy who's bounced around a little bit. He's uh, this, is, this is his third team. He's played uh, a lot of time in the American League. Um, I just think that this is his one opportunity to cash out um, he could probably get big money in short term somewhere else. And I think he's just going to sign that long-term deal, solidify it, take as much money as he can um, in a long period of time and probably not a lot of trade protection or anything. Just try to get him as much money in his pocket as he can while, while he's still able to play. But I think he's going to want to do it here. You don't want to mess with a, uh, with a good, op- sorry, you don't want to mess with a good opportunity. And I think that he, uh, I think he likes it a lot in Toronto. He's got a lot of friends here. I think it makes sense for him to to stay in Toronto. Yeah, I agree. And I do think the best time right now is the offseason, unless Jack's taking a discount in season, which I don't really know why he would do it. Uh, we saw him really pump up his value with that hot start, but he's kind of cooled down and, and lowered his price a little bit now. So I think the best move is just to wait it out, see if he can win you a playoff round or two, Uh, And then if you have to pay a little extra because he won some rounds, that's a win in my book. So I think he does sign for something reasonable, not a crazy discount, because like you mentioned, it is going to be the one big payday of his career for a guy who's only made, uh, I think, 1.6 million this year. So he's never really had that big payday. I think if he continues like this around that 920 to 925 range, I think Something in the area of five years times 4.5 or 4.8, just depending on how the playoffs go. I think that could be the right move for both sides. Yeah, if I were to put a prediction on it, I think it's a five to six year term uh, and something between four and five million dollars, probably a lot closer to the five uh, than the four. And then uh, little trade protection, because I think he'll he'll give a, if they want to move on from him, that'll kind of be the, He'll give up the trade protection and take a little bit less uh, so that he can push the years as much as possible and guarantee himself as big of a, a number as he can. 
Yeah, and I wouldn't even be surprised either to see them go even longer on a deal. It was actually an idea of my dad's where you could pay him something like three and a half over seven or eight, really front load that, give him that no movement protection for the first four or five years, and then kind of have a little handshake agreement that if he really falls off after year four, you trade him to Arizona, you trade him to some team that is cash poor and will take him on, and, and that lowers the salary for for the term of the deal. Now that's probably not the most likely thing. I think what we talked about is more likely, but I think we both are in agreement. I'm about 80%, probably close to 90% sure that he remains a leaf next year. So I hope so. Cause if he's a leaf next year, that means that we probably did pretty good this year. Now, uh, Noah, that about does it for me on this podcast. Did you have anything else you wanted to get off your chest today? Nope. That's everything for me. Beautiful. Well, thanks again for coming on, man. We will definitely be having you on again soon. And thanks everybody else for listening. Go follow us at BudsAllDayCast, at Noah underscore Banks, B-A-N-X. I've got it memorized by now. He's been on so many times. And once again, thanks, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care.